Hello, welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. I'm Ryan McLeod. I hope you're all well. Before we go into this week's episode, um, I just wanted to say this is going to be the last episode I put out um, before a bit of a, a summer break to let everybody sort of catch up on all the episodes. Um, but yeah, there's been some really lovely feedback so far on all the ones that have gone out. But yeah, I've got a few guests already lined up for September time for new episodes coming out. Um, after everyone's taken their summer holidays. This week's episode, I am joined by Vogue Gallery, who are Elizabeth Ann Day and Luke Cassidy-Greer. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a long time since I had more than one person uh, in front of the microphone. Um, and I think when we go into their their story, which is, is all about a, a holiday uh, that happened r- right I suppose when the pandemic was sort of kicking off and restrictions were really um, starting to take effect and the real severity of it was, was sort of coming to the fore. Um, so Luke and Elizabeth, they, they both um, went on holiday. I mean, they talk about them being in a relationship and that starting um, not long before it. So it's probably the first couple um, I've ever had together on the podcast as well. Um, but they talk about how that led to the discovery of something exciting in the museum quarter, which then led on to um, the creation of their very own vending machine art dispenser in Dundee in, in the Keeler Centre. Um, and we talk about the, the sort of Keeler Centre as a venue and why they chose that and why one of their the really important key things about what they're trying to do is, is making art more accessible and um, taking it out of the sort of gallery context which again was, was sort of there's parallels to that and what we tried to achieve with design festival in the keeler center in, in 2019 um and also now with um catherine rattry's uh, gallery in the keeler center there's there's things starting to happen um which again is 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 interesting and great to see like in the city center creativity um, taking space but yeah and this is I suppose it's it's an, an unusual episode compared to others where this is a real deep dive into the single project but still really fascinating to, to hear the story of how it came about and then this yeah I suppose the backstory to it and the circumstances that this led to the project's creation so yeah let's get into the episode this is Elizabeth Ann Day and Luke Cassidy Greer who are Volk Gallery so, much like Lizzie, I graduated from contemporary art practice at DGCAD. I was a year above though, so I was 2017 when I came out. And to be honest, I felt quite disillusioned by the end of it and went straight into full-time work as a print technician. Then gradually, over the course of a couple of years, started to get back into art making and ran a couple of collectives, did some wee shows out and about throughout Scotland, I guess. Yeah, I just kind of kept my hand in the game a wee bit that way, but didn't really start getting back into making until probably about 2018. And then just growing intensity as that went. But my story's a lot briefer than Lizzie's. <laughs> You're a lot more involved. Yeah, I did a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, I also did contemporary art practice, formerly known as fine art. Uh, did you cad and I was 2018 grad we didn't know each other through uni at all I think we had lots of mutual friends but never actually met each other somehow um, and then uh, I ended up 
going to generator projects after I graduated and I was on the committee there for two years, did the co-chairperson role for a year of that. Absolutely loved it, showed me a whole side of an art practice that I had never really considered or um, thought about. I think within the fine art course at that time, more especially at that time, there was a lot of focus on like the making of the work, which is of course the priority, <laughs> um, but there wasn't a lot of conversation about curatorial practice or um, organisational work, like actually how do you set your own show up? And it was a lot of um, DIY energy maybe. Um, and then that led me to being a generator. So I volunteered through them, through the, I volunteered like as a, I volunteered as a volunteer <laughs> with them when I was in uni. Um, and then they had a committee role coming up just as I finished and I applied for it. And then they offered that to me and that's kind of how that started on like arts organising. Um, at the same time, I was doing a graduate residency at DJ CAD. Um, and just before I'd finished my undergrad, I'd started DJ CAD Zine Library with a couple of other friends, um, Jack McAllister and Christy Reed. Um, and we ran that together for two and a bit years, two years, um, and then passed it over to the student curatorial team at DJ CAD, who still run it now, which is great. Yeah, and then I was at Generator for two years. And <laughs> then I don't know what happened. What happened? <laughs> I think that's the point we can have both first properly crossed paths yeah. and began to have these dialogues. I think it would be a bit of a euphemism for it. Yeah. Yeah, about making works and merging practice of making and the practice of actually exhibiting and curating shows. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah, we met at Generator and uh, I guess I had a friendly relationship, but because we should say we're dating <laughs> <laughs> and have been dating for uh almost two 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 years two and a half years how long yeah, have we been together three. Oh god terrifying Jeez. um and then from that that started us down a path of like collaborating on projects together because it kind of became a bit of a no-brainer we like had so many shared interests in those fields that you, yeah, especially with COVID, you were the immediate person. Yeah, <laughs> and well, vice versa. Yeah, that's like a really important bit is we started dating in like end of November 2019. Mm, yeah. And I think you were beginning to approach that last bit of your term on generator committee. And yeah, we were beginning to think about different projects we could start doing afterwards to fill in that extra bit of time that we we're both going to have. Well, you were going to have, I was still working full time. Yeah. And yeah, I was just kind of pushing myself to get more involved in making and doing. Yeah, I guess I was in like a slightly, I was going to use the word luxurious, but I don't know if it was, um, beneficial position that um, I was working part time as a visitor assistant at VNA Dundee. So was able to, I guess, give some personal time towards more long term and beefy projects <laughs> rather than the meandering arts practice that I tend to have. So what was the, what was the first thing you worked on together then? Um, I think the first thing was Vogue. I think, yeah, and I can have more fish capacity it was because well, throughout that first bit we were mostly just talking about sharing ideas and doing small little bods of work. I remember you doing something about biscuits and Oh yeah. I was designing flags and yeah, yeah. just kind of like weird disconnected things, but we were having these dialogues about that process of making, developing things. Like I would come take photos for you, like of the flag and stuff. Yeah. And then you were like giving me print advice. Um I think before we started dating you like framed some stuff for me. <laughs> like <laughs> um so there was like a little bit of 
yeah a little bit of conversation before that mm. but the first thing was Volk Volk actually ended up yeah. on our our first holiday as a couple was how we came up with Volk which was the worst time holiday <laughs> you could ever have oh my god it's, what what month was it Luke oh it's you know right in the middle of March 2020 oh my god what a wild decision that was good times <laughs> you know like us going in a few months into our relationship going like let's go on a two-week holiday through Hungary into Austria and arrive in Hungary it is amazing mm, just kind of really lovely being away from dundee in this amazing city together going to nightclubs and all these things that just give it a couple of days that's going to seem like an <laughs> absolute really, fantasy we really got like the, the best bit i don't know how we managed that um we had a great time in budapest and um our last day in budapest we went to uh, the may i forgot what the museum's called now we should have double checked that but the museum in the main square in budapest and uh, everyone there was wearing gloves. I was like, huh, what's, going what's, what's this about gloves? Interesting, I've never seen that before. Uh, and then we checked the news, because obviously we hadn't been doing that because we were on holiday. And we were like, huh, this is, oh, they're restricting numbers in, in Hungary. This is interesting. Okay, okay, that's fine. We're about to jump on the train to Vienna. Yeah. It's all good. And then we get to Vienna and our lovely Airbnb host like, meets us at the front door of a, an apartment com- complex. And the first thing that this lovely man says to us has, is, uh, do your parents know you're alive? <laughs> do you know, we mm. the alarm bell goes off at that point of me like, oh no, what's happened? So he's like, go in, put your bags down, just turn on the news. BBC World Service, this channel, catch up on what's going on. So of course we go up, turn on the TV and there's like, you know, countries towards the east of Europe begin to close their borders and... There's still that wee bit of dialogue going like, it's fine, it will probably blow over. It will be nothing, especially when you talk about, you know, the BBC and the UK's approach to these things, which I think as time showed, it was maybe a bit more relaxed than it should have been. Yes. (laughs) Just a bit. Um, But we thought, we're here now. Yeah. Let's enjoy it. So no restaurants to necessarily go to. So we think end up living out of a wee bratwurst or stand at the door to the hotel for most of that holiday it was really it was really good rappers it was it was very nice <laughs> this guy just refused to close like everything else was closing around him he was like no i will get most of the business and he did he did very well um and there was one restaurant we found that had a bar in it and we went there twice i think cafe europa cafe europa really good. would highly recommend good, good pasta um <laughs> and uh then we got lovely scary phone calls from both of our parents i think mm-hmm. this i think a second to last day we were supposed to be there um my parents were in the process of being evacuated from argentina very fun uh your parents were just in glasgow but my parents were drunk on the coach in glasgow <laughs> and we're like it's fine don't worry the embassy will get you out what's the worry and then 20 minutes later they call back like no maybe you should get out now. maybe you should go um so we spent some savings um and mm. got on a plane the we next should, day to we Bristol. Should probably backtrack and talk about oh, actually. Yeah, yeah what Volk we did, what itself, we did. Yeah. yeah, so that was just about our holiday. But um, <laughs> one of the things we did while we were sort of meandering around the streets of Vienna with not very much to do is we went to the museums that we wanted to go to and looked at them from the outside. Uh, in Vienna, though, they have all those museums together. Um, and I think it started with the Natural History Museum and then they decided to keep a new. Uh, building museums in that in that same sort of quadrant and it became known as the museum quarter yeah um i believe originally it was the stables of the 
you know, Franz Josef or something prior to that and something, something like that. <laughs> Because anyway, that all got dissolved and eventually they had these huge, really luxurious, massive courtyards and yeah, became Contemporary Art Museum, Natural History Museum, everything packed into the middle of a city, which I can imagine being incredibly vibrant and amazing when it was all open. For us, it was really eerie and uh, quiet. Yeah, as in about six other tourists. <laughs> the one thing that was open were these small cav old school 1950s style German vending machines in these passageways which that was literally our only, ex- only exposure to arts and culture on this arts and culture holiday we were planning so mm. we became a wee bit obsessed with these things we did and they're called the micro museums which is brilliant um, each pen or entryway into the museum court has a different theme so there's like an illustration pen, a sound work pen. Um, there's a graffiti one, which is pretty fun, which ironically was out of order because of graffiti, which was quite good. Um, and so for anyone who um, hasn't seen one of these things, what mm. like what did they look like on the wall? Well, the old school ones are, yeah, like Luke says, they're like from the 30s, 40s and 50s. And they are big sort of rectangular, I guess a cuboid, um, <laughs> vending machines. Uh, they're called clap and automats is actually what they're called um and you put your coin in your euro coin in and instead of an item dropping out of the machine it releases the locks on little tiny doors you pick one door and as soon as you've opened that door it triggers the mechanism again and locks all the other ones so you can't open multiple doors so basically all these little doors have little tiny glass panes on them so you can see what you're getting inside so the idea there is that every single one could be completely different or every single one could be the same but a slight variation uh, the one that we really enjoyed was um, <laughs> postcards and sugar cubes. Yeah, the <laughs> the sculpture pen. That was a really bizarre one because it was a case of they were referencing the sculpture trail from I think like Bremen down to Bavaria, and yeah, each postcard was one of these works along the sculpture trail and a sugar cube. However. It wasn't translated into English and our German is not very good. Yours is better so than mine. <laughs> passable at best. And when dealing with Cav, art speech, guesswork essentially. So mm. we've no idea why there was sugar cube in there. However, very helpful when you can get sugar for your coffee. Yeah, so I put it in my coffee. It was lovely. <laughs> and then we went to a photo, a photo automat, automat, or what's it called? A photo, a photo. Photomat. Photomat, yes. So lots of fun mechanical machines that day it was quite nice yeah yeah and that and that just kind of led us to continuing that trip i think we had one day after that where the only thing we could do was go a little tiny bit out of town on uh, the bus and go to what was normally a big beautiful stately home that they have open but the grounds were still open so you could walk around the gardens and stuff uh, and we walked around those gardens and had lunch there and uh, that's when we like we're like how how do we do that how do we do that in Dundee that could be done anywhere this is great because <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was one of the luxuries that that whole affordable was, was a lot of time to just sit together and talk about mm. ideas that you might might have forgotten a wee bit about if you were then going into a huge contemporary art museum and spending three hours there just that kind of like five minutes of this and that's what you're going to talk about for the next 48 hours which is nice, but I mean, I could also imagine being torturous. <laughs> wow, thanks. <laughs> well, if that was shot. <laughs> no, it was really good, and I'm really glad. I was, well, 
obviously not glad of the circumstances, but like mm-hmm. I'm really happy that we came across that and gave those spaces the due time that they deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went back multiple times and came in the museum quarter via different entrances and tried to find them all. And because I think there's like eight of them, there's quite a lot. Um, one of them was out, yeah, like the graffiti one was out of order, but it was uh, it was great. And then we we came home and uh, <laughs> flew back to Bristol because it's the only place we could get to. Got a mega bus to Glasgow, which broke down in the borders for several hours. Mm, lots of old was... ladies smoking outside in the rain. It was great. I came and joined them. It was <laughs> miserable. <laughs> I sat on the but bus. an experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when we finally got back to Glasgow, uh, and then I think it was literally the next day that uh, Boris comes on the news and it's like, ah, oh, some serious, uh, some serious shit happening now. Yeah, got to say, that was one of the really bizarre things was coming off at Bristol and we'd gone from, you know, very quiet places, no bars or restaurants open to then just business as usual, jam packed airport, everyone. Jam packed airport, normal. jam packed pubs. It was it was very it freaked us out so hard. It was so weird. Um, very weird. <laughs> but we got home and then um, when we finally got back to Dundee, um, we weren't living together at the time, actually, the start of that. Uh, but we were living virtually a street away from each other. So um, we still got to see each other through the first part of lockdown, which was nice. And that's kind of where we started pitching to each other about how we could make it happen. So how, how do you go about sourcing a, oh. a vending oh, machine? Well. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, or is that the first thing that you do? Well, yeah, so, kind of. Well, so I got furloughed very quickly at the beginning of it all. And As did I. Yeah. And... I didn't really have any other commitments. Like you were still on Fourth January, or so mm. a lot of crisis mm. meetings about that. I was <laughs> yeah. kind of just at home, like, oh, I'm getting paid money to just go and make stuff and do arty things. This is amazing. And one of the bits I kind of thought was, I'll work out how we go about getting these types of machines, how we make it work. Got in touch with the director of the museum quarter. Incredibly helpful team gave us all the information and were just helped us along. However, sadly, those Austrian-style clapping mats cost a small fortune. I mean, I, I do think, realistically, the guy was offering an incredibly fair price. It was about 5,000 euros. Okay. But for us, that is completely... It was, too, yeah, not even yeah. an option. No way. It was very nice that we actually got put in touch with the person that the museum quarter, like, sources their machines from mm. and the guy who restores them. So that was just really nice to talk to somebody working with mechanical vending machines and not just modern mechanical vending machines as well. Like, yeah. very, very interesting guy and it was lovely to speak to him, but didn't end up working out. But mm. it kind of also led us to that conversation of the reason the museum quarter was using Clapham Automats is because there was a very, like, familiar historical relationship to them in the city and at the time they were setting these up there was a surplus of them they Mm. were available they were becoming defunct and i think there's still some of them were still set for marks and they transfer them over so they were basically picking these things out of scrap heaps and doing them up and yeah that dialogue about what is the kind of i guess like native equivalent for us yeah what's yeah that Thing we've got that same regional relationship to. What's and local? Yeah. I think we look at you know tampon dispensers, condom machines, old cigarette machines. Although we're like, that's actually a bit niche now. Big niche and actually also very expensive because they're kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and that led us down a big journey of um, initially to really pushing to use a secondhand machine, 
and being on the most strange auction sites I've ever been on in my life. Um, and uh, not getting very far, finding a lot of machines in the wrong part of the country. And especially during COVID, that's not the most helpful. Um, and that kind of led us to finding what the a, a, a contemporary equivalent would be that would do the most that we wanted. Um, and that led us to Laurel, which is an American vending machine company that specialize in mechanical vending machines for car washes. Yeah. So they're made to be outdoors. They're entirely waterproof. Um, and they're very, very reliable, which is what we needed. Yeah, I think that was one of the kind of upsides of America maybe mishandling things a bit was that the moment we sent them an email, they were very quick to be like, oh yeah, we can sort you out. Don't worry, we need any money we can get right now. <laughs> and they just directed us to all the suppliers within Europe that would be able to help us. And we ended up going this weird circuitous route to getting the machine from France, mm. and pouring that over, setting up. I'm like, this is brilliant, this is great. Open it up, realizing it only accepts euros. Then going another nightmare web through the internet, trying to find someone that was converting these things to pound. We found someone in the UK that had them, didn't know how to convert them to pounds, which was bizarre. Then we found someone in the Netherlands who was able to do that and they shipped us over the part and then we gradually took this machine apart and rebuilt it and yeah but i guess the what probably is worth saying that is that we didn't pay for vogue um ourselves Mm. we applied for funding to to be able to do it um and we did that with young scots nurturing talent time to shine fund but um they were very nice and very receptive and uh i was still in the age bracket at the time of 16 to 24 just literally slipped by into a couple of months yeah just slipped in there quickly um and yeah they very kindly gave us the money which initially when we priced everything up was going to be the money towards the machine itself and the first couple of artists but it ended up just covering the machine just <laughs> because it ended up being a lot more expensive with having to go through those weird routes in the end to actually source the thing so what like what was the when you started out the model that you had in mind so obviously you've got to purchase the machine but then how does that work with the artist the work the selling price all that sort of stuff how does that how did you imagine all that mechanics yeah so look at the museum quarter they kept it at two euros per work and they could very easily do that because it is a huge body which is well funded and can subsidize these projects whereas for us we were thinking what is the most straightforward way we can do that right it holds 24 slots. If we refill it twice, that leaves us at 48. Then we give the artist one copy. We keep a copy for the archive. What is a feasible way to make this? I think the machine goes up to four pounds total. I think it actually is five. five. I think it might be fiver. Yeah. Oh, underselling. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we realised that a good way to work this out, a very simple way, maybe not a good way, but a simple way was to go one pound for the artists as part of their fee per product one pound to be spent on making the thing and then one pound as in theory for us in reality that's for when we don't quite make the money back or we have an error i mean let's be quite clear we don't make money out of all no we don't but that's not an issue for us at this point um but it, yeah, that extra pound was also like a, in case something happened to it. I don't know. Somebody whacked into it or something and it broke the front of it. I don't know. Worst case scenarios. Well, um, I mean, the initial thought was we we're going to have it outdoors. And mm. I think originally it was just when they were doing up the Castle Street Pend and the City Square. And we thought that'd be really good to have it in there and just have this kind of 
yeah, very much like Austria on this 24-7 access. Of course, I got in touch with the council and they were like, hell no. <laughs> do not do that. It will get stolen. It will get vandalised. And you will lose everything. They were also like, this pen is listed. Please don't drill into our wall. Please don't drill into our wall. Um, yeah, they were not, not game with that. But however, they did really like the idea and they were happy to put us in touch with people that they thought we could talk to. Um, they put us in touch with the Overgate, I think, first. Um, and we weren't super buzzed <laughs> well, about it. No, I think it was more that kind of dialogue about removing all boundaries mm. kind of meant that we wanted to go for a slightly more how would I phrase this um less obstructive I guess yeah more the most kind of accessible public space we could go for which we thought the Keeler Centre was that kind of space it was one of probably the oldest shopping centre in its original form in the city centre it's a very familiar one we know it's used very frequently as a thoroughfare mm. and we also just kind of love the aesthetics of the Keeley Oh Center. my god, we love it so intensely. I did not realise how much I loved it until we went back in to speak to speak to lovely Angus Morton, who I'm sure you've met before, who's um, a dream of a human. Um, and then we're just like, oh my god, this building's great. I think it's also reminded us of like these wee kind of regional shopping centres that we grew up with. Because mm. like for me, there's a Savoy Centre. I'm not sure which one would it be for you. Oh, I don't know. Uh there's, there's quite a few interesting ones in Dunfermline. But um, I think actually for me, it was I uh, have a lot of great friends in Aberdeen, so it always reminded me of Aberdeen Market in a really lovely, cosy way. RIP Aberdeen Market, we miss you. <laughs> um, um, yeah, and I think initially we actually went to speak to Angus about having it on the exterior of the Keeler because we were still really pushing for it to be outdoors. And he was just very honest and just said that they did have problems with placing things outside and them not being there two days later, which is very transparent for him to say that to us. Um, and he also sort of emphasised that it's like, not only is it a thing you're putting outdoors, it's a thing that's going to have money in it. And it's like, it's, these are fair points, Angus, yes. I think the reference point he used was they put a cigarette bin outside and within two days it got nicked. He's like, oh, if you've got even three quid in there, it's going. going to go. Yeah, it's going to go. And the machine itself also has value. So, um, yeah, we were like, let's, um, let's save that little budget that we have for it being broken. <laughs> perhaps and not use it immediately um so yeah so that's how we spoke to angus and he was um really open to the idea i think we ended up having a meeting with him for about two hours because he just really wanted to chat to us um, and we had like really big long chats of course like about design festival and like the legacy of the center and like how they are interested in like the arts in there and how to progress that and you know broaching that with the owners um and angus was great he set up a meeting with the owners he spoke to them about our idea and what they could offer us and he came back and said you can have that wall and it's on the house go nuts um, and Which that's exceptionally yeah. generous. <laughs> very, very kind. Very kind. Um, yeah. So that's that's how we end up in the Keeler Center. So, and so you've got a, you've got a space. Mm -hmm. um, then you need stuff to fill it with, right? Mm. So how do you go about deciding what, who, and goes inside the the machine? So part of our numerous projects we do, Kath Volza's constantly looking at new and upcoming artists mm. and generally just having discussions about people's work and going like, there's something really interesting about how they handle this. I wonder how they would, you know, work with these really strict kind of restrictions that Volk has where, you know, it's got to be 
what, 10 centimeters long, 20 centimeters across, and four centimeters tall at most. So it's a tiny amount of space. And then go, can you make 50 of them for 50 quids? So it's, yeah, a lot of discussions about who we think would be take this in a really interesting and different be, way. Be receptive to that very minimal budget yes, <laughs> and interesting yeah. brief. Um, and so um, I think with a lot of projects of that, the scale and this very limited fee that we have, we did start by talking to people that we had worked with previously who we, you know, could be like, we're really sorry, it's not very much money, but would you be game? Um, yeah, I mean, and also, uh, they were. It was people that we had previous kind of relationship with working wise also in case things fell through because we commissioned them before everything was set in stone we didn't know if we were necessarily going to have a space anywhere at that point Mm -hmm. we weren't sure if the idea would pick up at all so it was quite helpful to just yeah approach people whose work we admired although we had and had worked with before and gone like hey you three people do you want to just try this out and then we'll kind of begin to move away from that i guess could be interpreted as slightly more biased way of working. Not biased. Um, biased. Not biased. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Nepotistic. Yeah. 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 Which is not always ideal. Well, it's never ideal. <laughs> not always ideal. Cut <laughs> <laughs> That's so bad. Um, yeah, so the first people, three people we commissioned was James Alexander McKenzie, who um, is a performance artist and a painter. Um, does a lot of amazing spoken word performance. Um, he made a cassette tape for us with a set of his poems on one side of the tape and then a collaboration with another artist, Daniel Dempsey, on the other side, which was a lovely, um, how would you describe Dan's guitar playing? <laughs> Ooh, energetic. Energetic guitar playing <laughs> um, on the other side. Uh, then we had Mary Isla, who is a local ceramicist and illustrator, um, and she did a beautiful zine for us, a Constantina zine, and a couple of them had bonus ceramic in it so it was kind of a lucky dip uh, and then our third artist was Chris Connerty who worked a lot with paper and printed media um, and ended up making uh, a Riza print for us and a Riza printed badge as well so slight quite three like vari- variations and then that's always kind of a consideration going forward is that we are looking for people that um, are doing something that we haven't done before like in their main practice or we think would take the opportunity and run with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've also been making a more conscious effort to try and represent more creative disciplines. Mm-hmm. I think initially we realised we're like, this is all quite art heavy. Maybe we should begin to approach like a jeweler, for example, and see what mm-hmm. they would do. And I think that was Yiva Jankowska. Yeah, Yiva. Just yeah, made these amazing matchboxes with one handcrafted bronze match inside of them. I think they were copper, yeah. not bronze. Copper, <laughs> copper even, yeah. <laughs> How much money do you think we got? Um, yeah, some really nice copper matches. Um, and there's a lot of really interesting responses to those, like how people use them. Some people have kept them pristine and never touched them. Other people use them as matches and some, have just got one. Someone, in fact, sent the enti- set the entire box on fire. Oh, yeah, that was which good. Which was a fantastic thing to be tagged on on Instagram. That was brilliant. Loved that highlight of the week. Yeah, that was pretty great. Highlight of the month. That was mm. wonderful. Um, yeah, and it's been really interesting to see what people people do with it. I'm trying to think of some other weird ones we've had. Um, I know trading cards have been oh yeah, really Sean Whelan, 
Sean Whelan's uh, a digital, no, not a digital, a Grey's graduate, um, who's here in Dundee. Um, he actually works with Scottish Water as his day job, which I always really like. Um, he did a really good performance piece a few years ago where he had his work boots, and every day he put like an insole on the bottom of his shoe, so he got taller every day. And he just did it until somebody noticed. And he got like half a foot taller, <laughs> which is insane. Um, and it amazing. wasn't subtle at all because they are bright yellow insoles and big work boots <laughs> as he's clumping around his office. So wonderful. And uh, yeah, we've known about Sean for a long time and he's a good, really good guy. So that was really good fun. He made a set of trading cards um, and every pack was slightly different. They were all Rezo printed. Um, and we had quite a few people... Um, uh, well, so, well, actually, a mum messaged Sean directly and was like, I've been to this machine four times and my daughter's missing one card. I'm going to go insane. Please, can you give her the card? So Sean, like, specially packed up a spare that we had and, like, sent out to this wee girl, which was quite nice. <laughs> that guess, that that's one of those things we have really, really wanted with Volk from the goal was not just art catering towards artists and art people that are in that circle already but more opening it up and allowing that doors open full access as full access as we can manage to just receive something very unexpected inserted into the middle of their day yeah i mean it's a very different way to experience art um I mean, now, obviously, in the, the, the Keeler Centre now, Catherine Rattray's opened up mm, her course, gallery, yeah. so there is a bit more of that creative arts-based focus in there. Um, but, yeah, an unexpected space, as you say, to have a nice little experience for, like, a, a pretty low-cost low, low cost mm. sort of accessible experience. Um, and I think it's, a, it's a, the, like, the the machine itself is just a, a really nice mechanism with that element of surprise sort of into it as well, which is all things that you're not going to get with a traditional uh, gallery experience, mm. I feel like. And I also feel like there is a certain type of barrier, I guess, with just entering a arts institution, because there's always that kind of preconceived notion of, do I belong here? Do I know what I'm going to kind of experience while I feel like I'm being stared at by the visitor assistant staff who never do that. They are usually always great people, but it is still just a pre... You will have these kind of preconceived biases. And yeah, Killer Center, Venom Machina, well, no one is going to perhaps interact with you at all for the whole experience. And yeah, you do get to receive something quite unusual and unexpected. Mm. And it's a two-way street, two street too. We've had people who actually have lived in Dundee several years and have either never been to the Keeler, which is crazy, but, um, you know, have never been at all or have been once or twice as a thoroughfare and actually go back in and, you know, go to Somerton's news agents to get some change and buy a tin of juice or realise that they can get their keys cut in there and, oh, actually, I need a new hex pad on the way out. So it's like a nice backwards and forwards and equally we're getting the normal audience of the Keeler interacting um, with us in a way as well. So... It's really lovely. It's been a very nice dialogue. And we have, um, I have to shout out the crazy cool security guards in the Killer Center who are absolutely fantastic. Absolutely mad highlight to Jim. Oh, yeah. Who we absolutely love. Jim is retiring in like a week, which is so sad. We need to get him a big bottle of whiskey or something um, because he's been absolutely incredible for us. Um, we've had multiple people um, message us and been like, we just had this really nice chat with the security guard who like told us everything about it and it was so great and it's he's just like 
yeah it's been very enthusiastic and has you know been manning the station for us I guess in a way he's been brilliant but the whole team there has been absolutely amazing um and very open to us being there which has been lovely and we've just hit our one year anniversary of being in the killer center yeah, one whole year of one, whole year. one whole Cheers year of to at least one more yeah and I guess the future of Vogue and how does that yeah so, so what is that what does that look like are you gonna take over with an army of vending machines or how does, how does well, that work? We have been, and more kind intently now, kind of having that discussion about that next stage. And I think we are right on the kind of precipice of actually making a step and opening up a second one. The thought is to move outside of Dundee and go to Aberdeen. We thought it's a city of a kind of similar ilk. It's not as built up as Glasgow or Edinburgh and it's an interesting model we think would thrive really well there we also have um, actually our next artists in in bulk here is Cusp um, who are a a duo Phoebe Banks and Jessica Wilson-Lee who are both based in Aberdeen um, and they're going to be hopefully working with us a little bit on how we progress folk in Aberdeen and, and make that happen, which is exciting. Because I think part of it is taking that structure and applying it elsewhere and then also opening it up so people in those places can have a role in the running and operating folk. So it isn't just, you know, Dundee artists prescribing what other cities should be looking at and enjoying, but a more open dialogue across at this point talking about Scotland mm. specifically yeah and just kind of sharing that and keeping it more I guess collective orientated in a yeah. sense yeah yeah let you run yeah yeah I guess little ARI action artist run initiative <laughs> it's essentially what they're doing it's like all the groundwork all the research um all the learnings that you've taken from the first iteration of it you can then allow people to bypass that part of it and get to the creative bit Mm. Yeah, and then they can essentially source a machine and then get to work on and actually making some stuff to go in it once they've found a, a location and then essentially you could start having that network grow over time wherever is, is suitable and but, it's exciting to think about as well about commissioning an artist not just for 50 editions but for 100 and exhibiting in two cities at one time which yeah. is a very yeah unique prospect I guess yeah because one of the upsides of well, I guess one of the downsides, to be actually honest, is that <laughs> Volk is kind of really tied to the more you make, the more the artist gets paid. So I think 50 is a manageable amount to do in Dundee. I think if we had more, we would be sitting with an entire flat full of unsold works. Mm-hmm. But broadening it out, it means, yeah, absolutely, we can approach artists go like, hey, here is closer to a reasonable amount of money to be able to do this project and then as that grows eventually the hope would be to go like here it's 500 pounds you will be exhibiting throughout the whole country yeah here's, here's a bit more of a whack and that's something we want to do so we're looking at funding bodies right now to not just make that next step happen which is an addendum not happening immediately or anytime <laughs> incredibly soon but it's definitely a goal within the next year or so um uh, but also to increase that artist fee in the immediate sense as well. So that, you know. Yeah, because I suppose you've got to, there's obviously a time consideration of how long yeah. it takes to do that as well as that people are not getting into this to make 
loads of money it's more about being part of that experience mm. and getting something out of it like the the product as well for themselves and, and things like that so, yeah yeah i mean totally. no one goes into the arts wanting to make a ton of money but you never expect that that's would be a very happy thing to occur but i think yeah we can actively make steps to make that future at least somewhat more realizable to people that, that's, a, that's a very big goal i like that's that a very big goal but i think it's more like a f- guiding moral yeah. than a goal per se definitely definitely um essay you rates here we come <laughs> yeah I guess we didn't explain why Vox called Volk. I just realised that too. Yeah, well, maybe yeah, that. Uh, yeah, that's probably a good question to ask. Yeah, why is it called Volk? Where does that come from? That is from Vienna. Very straightforward. Um, the the subway stop closest to the museum quarter is called the Volk Theater, which just means the People's Theater. So all Volk means is the People's Gallery, which is nice and yeah. simple, and, and it's a good to word. To point, yeah, it's mm. in theory a gallery that for everyone and anyone. Yeah, that's the name. And it rolls off the tongue. Sounds really good. <laughs> and there's a lot of fun you can have with graphics. Yeah. Everyone should put more Vs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you set up Vogue, one of the, the goals of the project was to try and make like art more accessible. Put it into a location where people are um, sort of as a thoroughfare, not necessarily in a more traditional arts environment. Mm. Um, and I think like a lot of the, the, the work that, that we've done as a studio and design is trying to break down those barriers to entry, try and make design more accessible. Um, so how do we do that with art, with things beyond Vogue, other projects, other things, other spaces? Like how, how do we, as a discipline, how do we make art more accessible to a wider audience? I would say the most important first step is to listen to people. I think that's one of the big things that can often be forgotten about somewhat because i mean we've got i'm sure as we all know as like creatives you've got great ideas of things you would really want to see in a city or a place but will that actually benefit people and do does anyone else other than yourself actually want that yeah yeah. you need to not assume um what should be right and also i always think that you shouldn't assume that people are going to come to you you need to go to them you need to like start that conversation and um be open about it and not be absolutely heartbroken if somebody's like nah <laughs> that's rubbish i don't want that you need to be really open to that i guess that digestion process that like that change and and really be open to collaborating with people because if you're not you're going to get shot on the foot very quickly yeah and i think like as you, as you say like taking that to locations where people don't expect it to start more interesting conversations and to prove that it can be done that we don't have to live in a world where arts culture design just is in the city center mm-hmm. that it can exist and flourish and thrive everywhere in a, in a city and beyond absolutely i mean i think there certainly is a lot to be said about well it's that thing of you don't know you don't like something until you've actually interacted with it mm-hmm. and i think for a great number of people interacting with contemporary art maybe they've not done it as much as they think I th- there's that thing of like arguably everyone can say the interactive design you do it every minute of every day but not necessarily in that considered way put it in that kind of we microcosm where that is the thing you're interacting with 
you might not have intended to go out and interact with it, but here it is, will give you that kind of wee moment of reflection and time to kind of reconsider that preconception you have about it. Yes. <laughs> I agree. And, and, but I think as well, it's it's setting up those conditions to allow you to do that. Oh, yeah. And you absolutely need that kind of welcoming environment to be able to do that. I think we've found that within the Gila Centre, they are really welcoming to that. I don't know how welcoming other cities would necessarily be. I think Dundee's a really lucky place for this where you can kind of take a risk and do these slightly weirder projects and people will go, all right, give it a shot, see Mm -hmm. what happens. But then I think you also need those, like as you talked about, you need Jim, who's the champion of it, who sees someone maybe have a passing glance and then Jim will go over and tell the story and sell them in on it. And it's a friendly face that people will recognise and he will lead them through the backstory and then convince them to part with three pounds to find out what's going on. It's almost almost like there's something like quite covert about that. I think the the way of Volk being in a vending machine is like sneaky. (laughs) I think Volk if it, like Jim does so much for us, and I'm so scared now that he's retiring. I know one week, <laughs> one whole week. I'm gonna go have to like chat to everybody. Yeah. But I think that is one thing you could definitely criticize Volk for is it's quite a isolating experience in some regards. Because as much as that does mean anyone can approach it, if there's nothing to immediately draw you to that, are you necessarily going to approach it at all? Mm. And I think this will be. I kind of, yeah, one of those trying bits that might hold us up. I mean, I would love to see the Keeler Centre kind of, you know, develop into that design festival idea on a more permanent basis and it kind of becoming that bridge space between, you know, contemporary creative practices and a very public and usable space. So, um, yeah. Just curious to see how things go in the future. Yeah, like I think that there's absolutely the, the potential to do that. I think on on a big scale, there's obviously more challenges. There's the um, obviously like the, the infrastructure, the um, the current business model, the um, even just the operating hours and things like that. It, they're, 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 you get into quite a lot of complexity, but I don't doubt that the the potential is there to do that and to make it happen. And I think. Um, you need the little catalysts to start that going, like like Volk is doing, like Catherine's in there doing, like other people providing the vision and the sort of the, the planning and the, the the backing up of this is what is possible and then going and actually making it happen. Um, I think that's that's what the space needs. Yeah. Well I think that okay kind of just comes out of that dialogue becoming more open and people becoming gradually more receptive from it. I mean, I would love to be in a world where the moment you suggest these things, people go like, yes, that's great, let's do it. But to be very honest, it's, it does take that kind of tried and true, kind of tested method, starting out with folk, doing these wee things, Catherine coming in doing something slightly bigger, then that question of what's the next thing going to be? Because I think Zion Festival, absolutely amazing, had a lot of money behind it and was able to kind of make these bold choices that we couldn't have even feasibly considered i mean we're in our late 20s kind of just 
fresh out of art school trying these things. Excuse me, I'm in my mid-twenties, thank you. She's in her mid-twenties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's exciting to see what's next in that space. And I really hope that it doesn't go anywhere. I think that's always a, a threat when spaces are like the Keeler Centre. Um, I mean, Aberdeen Market is a great example. I think, you know, RIP, that's exactly the example. Um, and that is that was a space that was thriving and doing exceptionally well and was full of community activity. I consistently have festival spaces being used in there, multiple local businesses popping up in the last two years of its life. So it's very scary to like think about you know, that's, you know, the goal for the Keeler was, is to be like Aberdeen Market. But then it's like, is that the way out? That, you know, it's it's very scary. So um, as much as, you know, while it's still there and while it's still on our doorstep, um, we should all be using it and celebrating it Absolutely. as much as we can. Because I mean, I think it's great going in there once a month to get something out of Volk, but maybe also go and get your keys cut. Go buy your ciggies. Yeah. Go have a nice chat with Jim before he goes. Go into the Boys Brigade shop. Go to the Boys Brigade charity shop and have your mind blown because it's the best charity shop I've ever been in my life. I could buy a Formica table in there the other week. 20 quid. So yeah, just, I mean, just before we finish up, we've always talked a a lot about Volk, um, but like you guys do lots of other things as well. Um, So what else are you up to at the moment? So we run an arts publication um, with three other DJ CAD graduates that we started also in 2020 or because yeah clearly we, we like ourselves we got the funding approved for that I think the day before we went on holiday <laughs> which was part of those discussions we were having whilst away yeah so we were like already chatting alright let's yeah we didn't really talk about that earlier but that's a good point we were really talking about that a lot in the airport I remember quite vividly um, and uh, yeah um, that's been an amazing project um, we've published three issues so far fourth one coming before the end of the year and that features four different emerging artists per issue and um, there's five editors five people working on it and each of us you know, sort of take a turn writing an article and one person runs the socials <laughs> for that issue and uh, writes the editor's letter so it's a, it's been a really lovely like collaborative baby um to be involved in and a lot of amazing artists that we've worked with because everything obviously has been such a zoom world for a while we've done a lot of um international features with that so Kat Zavada was in Poland, Judith Flora Schuller was in Hungary, um, we've had Rosa Park in um, South Korea, so we've really kind of spread our wings a bit with that one. It's been really a really amazing project, and uh, yeah, Jamie Steedman, Corey Thompson, Kirsty Reed, made and collaborated on that. They've been fantastic. Absolutely, and I mean, I also kind of run a wee resource printing operation out of a spare bedroom in our flat. Not quite <laughs> as glamorous as we might try and look at make it look on Instagram, but that's what Instagram's there for. And that's just kind of a continuation of what I was doing as professional paid employment, but kind of getting a bit disillusioned with that and going, maybe we should try and do this for ourselves and focus it on arts and giving back to that community in a more direct way opposed to, and I'm not saying I did this, sneaking stuff out of work and printing stuff for people there. (laughs) Definitely never did that. But definitely do that now legitimately printing artworks and creating zines for folk and yeah just a really nice kind of wee accessible point to make sustainable print-based products yeah because i mean rezo is a more sort of eco-friendly approach to to printing and inks and things like that right? absolutely yeah i mean it's what rice bran oil to make it which is a food waste byproduct and also the colors are so vibrant and so bizarre you can just yeah 
you can always spot a riso print from a mile away and then you can also tell because it's never dry <laughs> <laughs> love, love a little smudge in the corner oh smudges in corners and inky fingerprints all over the flat you ever see our vault gallery posters? They're all done by Yalariza, all designed by Yalariza. No. Big up to Luke. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the design of the posters is always a fun one because it's usually, we usually give ourselves a five-hour window to design them and then a couple of hours to print them, so it's a wee bit, wee bit of a challenge. It's half the fun. Half the fun. It's DIY, isn't it? DIY. <laughs> Before we wrap things up, um, is there something that you could both recommend that you've been watching, listening to, or reading recently? Well, as we can't mention, I'm terrible at sleeping. So I've been doing a lot of reading, and the book that's really, really got me right now is Cal Flynn's Islands of Abandonment, which takes you from small little brownfield pockets of faith right to Fukushima and explores these ecosystems that pop up when people are absent and I've just been loving it. I found it hugely inspirational and did find me I've taken a second look at just even that short walk from the flat down to here where you pass that small little bit of brownfield behind Dundee City Chambers and stuff like that and it's Mm -hmm. yeah really good amazing way of just recontextualizing a bit of everything also great because i live and work from home so it's nice to think about somewhere exotic and amazing it's good i bought you that i'm glad that's gone down well (laughs) um i like murder podcasts and probably not a good thing um, <laughs> no, there's lots of people who like murder podcasts. It doesn't make bad. them a murderer. I feel so. bad about liking murder podcasts. Um, listening to one called The Teacher's Pet right now by The Australian. Came out a few years ago. It's actually now been taken off Australian streaming services because there's a trial happening as a result of the podcast. So they're having to shield the information from the jury. It's very interesting. Um, I'm having a good old time with that. Um, what else? We watched The Silent Sea quite recently as well, which is an amazing Korean uh, space drama, um, which is on Netflix, which I'd highly recommend. That really, I don't even like thrillers, and that was, I was in. It was great. The other thing I would utterly and completely recommend is Burning House Books, we independent bookshop in Glasgow. They do a monthly book group. I don't necessarily actually go to the live book group thing because. My reading list is a little too long right now, a little too chaotic. <laughs> but every month on their Patreon, send you out a book, and it is always the most choice selection. Something you would never normally come across, be exposed to, and oh, just amazing. Really good covers also. Oh, yeah. When they come through, they, they are all gorgeous books. Very nice. <laughs> the aesthetics of reading. Mm. Gotta take it to account. <laughs> So, I mean, if if anyone wants to experience Volk, they can obviously go to the Keeler Centre, which we've talked about in great depth. But um, if they want to find you online, uh, how do you do that? Yeah, so Volk has a has a website, which is volkgallery.com. Volk is spelled V-O-L-K. Um, we also have an Instagram for Volk, which is at Gallery Volk, not Volk Gallery, annoying. Um, but we both have our own personal Instagrams as well. Um, I'm at Elizabeth Ann Day. And I'm at Legation Navy. It's all good. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. 
So thank you very much to both my guests this week, Elizabeth Andy and Luke Cassidy Greer. And yeah, I mean, if you enjoyed that, if you have been enjoying episodes of the podcast, there's now a way that you can support it. And it's ko-fi.com forward slash ccc dundee and you can buy me a cup of coffee um, and it helps me put more great creatives in front of the microphone um, yeah or you can follow so obviously we're going into a little bit of a gap now um, a little bit of a summer break and yeah be back round about September time but if you want to get notified the best way to do that is to follow at ccc dundee on twitter or on instagram um, or it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash ccc dundee um, yeah so enjoy the the heat wave I suppose and um, and I'll catch you in September bye